The lectionary brings us today to this wonderful story that everybody knows. This is the Luke version. We all know the Mark version a little better, probably. But the Luke version of what is often called the demoniac. So I want to read from you from, from Luke chapter 8. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had worn no clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. The story of the Gerasene demoniac has been interpreted in a lot of ways. It's, uh, you've probably heard dozens of sermons on it over the years. Lots of various points stressed. So I thought maybe today we could take a little different look at the story. A look that I think might help us move past some of the more sensational incidents of the story to its central truth. A look at, the, at, at it that asks the question, who's really out of touch with reality? Or as I like to say here, who's crazy here? Uh, don't raise your hands. Uh, what relevance does the story have for us? As I read over the story, something that just kept nagging me about it, and I've read this story dozens of times, obviously, and there was something about it that was so familiar about it. There was a pattern I was sensing, but not quite recognizing. I kept reading it over and over and over, and all of a sudden it came to me. This is a mystery story. Now, in our house, you have to watch mystery stories. You don't get a choice about that, by the way. I, I, unless you get to control the TV and promise me you will not. I promise you, you will not. Uh, I get to find the channel, but not decide which one we watch. So I started thinking about this. This is a mystery story. I've seen lots of them. It has all the developments and, and turns of a good Agatha Christie novel. The setting is a little discomforting, and the, the characters are not who they appear to be at the beginning. There is a mystery being unfolded here, really unraveled here, uh, and it's not in the classic mystery story that is a murder uh, to be solved, but it is a mystery nonetheless. And we are invited to be an Agatha sleuth in the vein of Hercule Poirot, our Miss Marple, and uncover what is going on in this story. 
While on the surface of the story, everything seems so obvious. All the clues point in one direction. A little critical observation, though, may reveal everything and everyone here is not what it seems. Like a good mystery, though, the characters are really carefully developed for us, and we are allowed a significant view of each to help us in our investigation this morning. In fact, the characters are so well developed here, if we are not careful, we may begin to see ourselves in some of them. So I invite you, I invite you to put on your deerstalker hat, get your pipe and your cane, and join me to attempt to discover who is crazy here. The place to begin in solving any kind of mystery is to follow the central characters, observe their actions, ask a few strategic questions. Anyone who runs naked and lives in a graveyard and has to be chained up has to be a prime suspect. We probably should start with him. Any good detective would know that and do that. So here's a man by his own confession. He's divided and confused. Uh, he, doesn't he doesn't know who he is. is. My, My name, name is Legion, for I am many. He is tormented, we're told. He can't find peace or comfort. His life is just a mess. And so maybe he is our guilty party. While his self-description should make us a little bit suspicious, it does not necessarily make him guilty of being crazy. We should not jump to premature conclusions. Good detectives don't do that. I'm remembering one of the most respected persons of all of history described himself by saying, I do the things I don't want to do. What I don't want to do, I do. I practice the very evil I wished I wouldn't do. I joyfully concur with the laws of God, and yet I see something else going on in my life. I'm not practicing that. And I feel like I'm a prisoner of the very things I don't want to do, a prisoner of sin. And he ends it by saying, unhappy or wretched person that I am. Who's going, going to, to set, set me free? free. This, this obviously is a divided, confused person. And yet few people really want to call the Apostle Paul crazy. There are some who do, by the way, but, but not, most don't. Most scholars would say, well, probably not. But when we look at Legion's malady, don't we find some of the same kind of things going on in him that was going on in all of us? Our existence, is it not, is often filled with... with uh, Conflicting experiences, experiences that don't seem to line up. We have obligations and loyalties of all kinds that don't come together. They demand our time and our mental abilities, and we often end up distracted and confused. We try to balance life and work and community and family, trying to determine which is most important at any one given time. We all know the right answer. What's the most important thing in your life? Well, it's your family. We all know that's the right answer, and yet many of us have found our lives difficult to make that our priority when it comes to our time and our energy, and most of us come home tired, and maybe we don't have our best selves ready for our family, so, so maybe we know what it's like to be a little distracted, a little divided in our loyalties at times. Uh, it, it, it's just tough. And then if you're trying to find any self-fulfillment, you have no time left for yourself. You want to know about your life. You need to know about your life. You want to see it have a direction and a purpose. You want to be engaged with others. That's what we want our lives to be. And yet so often we're divided in the attempt to try to do that. Setting priorities and schedules only to have them shattered. As I once said to a colleague, look, we don't set priorities. They set us. 
which is the reality of our lives so many times. We all know the feeling of legion in Paul, do we not? That which I wish I don't do, that which I do not wish to do, I do. I thought I knew myself, but I feel like many inside of me. So many demands. And so, like legion, we try to seek for unity and peace in our lives. Some fundamental value that can unify us put us at peace with ourselves and our surroundings, though the demons find us and torture us. At least Legion ran toward help. That seems like a sane act to me. Lots of evidence points toward Legion being our guilty party, but I am not sure we want to declare him guilty just yet. He did, not see, he, he did seem to know where to find help. Besides, at times, if you're like me, I feel like my name is Legion, and I'm not quite ready yet to confess to you at least that I'm crazy, though some of you think it's obvious. I don't necessarily buy it every day, all day. So let's move to another suspect. The second suspect is this guy, Jesus. He does some pretty peculiar things. I was talking about a baptism many months ago, preaching. I'm reminding the search committee it's been many months. No, <laughs> Uh, uh, but I was, I was preaching, and I talked about Jesus hearing voices, and one of our youth said, this Jesus sounds a little strange. He does sound a little strange at times, does he not? He does peculiar things. He talks to strangers who talk to themselves and run about naked. Gail is not here. Gail, are you watching? Don't watch Gail. Um, I used to have to say to Gail, we don't talk to everybody we encounter. When we go downtown, when we go to Chicago, we don't talk to everybody. It's not the thing you should do. Jesus is talking to strangers who talk to themselves, who run naked. We know what you do when you, you cross the street. That's what you do when you encounter that person, right? But Jesus jumps right in. Jesus, where's your sanity? He starts giving orders. He starts asking names. He initiates a conversation with a person strong enough to break chains. Jesus, wake up! This man should be left alone. Also, we see that Jesus is called a tormentor here, is he not? In my mind, someone who's tormenting others, that's, that's really not what we should be. That may not be a sane person. So while this character Jesus is not our prime suspect, because we are in church, by the way, some of his actions and some of his charges about him and some of the other stuff we know about him just seem a little strange. A tormentor. I think he deserves some attention as maybe the guilty party. Many who encountered Jesus describe him in similar ways, initiating the discussion with him. He initiates the discussion with them, excuse me. And it makes us uncomfortable. It's always uncomfortable when I have a conversation with Jesus. When I begin to read what Jesus had to say, it makes me uncomfortable. And, and people often feeling fragmented and torn apart by conflicting and diverse situations often seem to become even more uncomfortable when they meet this man, Jesus. And yet at times when we encounter Jesus, it often feels like he's the, excuse me, the enemy of our lives. He starts messing around in our lives. He starts asking us to create change in our lives. He asks really hard things of us, like a radical reorientation and a readjustment of the centers of our existence. Man, if that doesn't create torment and pain, I don't know what does. It seems, though, from the action of our prime suspect, Legion, 
Life was almost easier before Jesus came along. Because at least he knew what to expect as legion. They were going to chain him up. They were going to put a guard on him. They were going to keep an eye on him. But now that he's changed, how's the community going to react to him? You know, change in one individual creates real challenge inside a community, inside a family at times. Now he's being formed into this new identity. Where's his place? He knew his place before. I'm, I'm the madman. Every community, you know, uh, uh, every community needs that. Monty Python, the village idiot. Right, that's me. I've got a place. I've got an identity. If you didn't watch Monty Python, you can look it up later. Uh, uh, but, but, but he's got this new identity. What's he going to be? Who's he going to be? Where's he going to go? Sometimes in life, it seems to us, it's easier to live with the demons than to adjust to a new life with all that potential. But as I said, Jesus isn't the prime suspect because though he acts in risky ways, approaching people with issues, and he causes discomfort for many, the outcome appears productive, does it not? It seems that peace is found for this man. Maybe even some peace in the community. You don't have the madman running through the, the graveyard. And he even seems to make a companion, a friend of this man. This man wants to go with him. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus knows what he's doing and knew it all along. An interesting quote, as we think about this this morning, from Alfred Lord Whitehead said, Religion is the transition from God the void, we do not know God, to God the enemy who challenges us, to God the companion. So maybe this man Jesus is following a sound religious pattern in dealing with people, helping them to know who he is, and to making companions. Well, if it's not, perhaps legion, and it would be wrong in church to say it's Jesus, the only other suspects I find here are the neighbors, the community. These people do have some interesting behaviors, do they not? They seem to be frightened by what appears to be a good thing. The guy who's been causing all the trouble in the community, you have to put a guard over him, has become a good citizen, and that makes us afraid. We, we almost, almost get, get the, the feeling they, they desired things as they, they were before. before. That, that is, is the status quo. I guess, I guess insanity, once, once you get used to it and become familiar with its pattern, is less threatening than the sanity. They knew what to do with the madman. What do you do with this new guy that seems to be here? It does not appear that they understand what they're going to do. Don't we feel like that sometimes? That something that seems to be good, we just find it too difficult to deal with. That's the verse out of Galatians this morning from the lectionary that Darren read for us. We're told there that freedom comes through faith. And that freedom brings unity for us. And that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of unity we say we want, but... The honest answer is I'm often more comfortable with my biases. You don't talk to people on the street because who knows who they will be. I'm often more comfortable with my prejudices because they make me feel good. I'm often more comfortable with being separated from others because then I don't have to worry about anything. Don't we do that sometimes? We hear the very word of God telling us how to live together, how to live in unity. And though the fact that our disunity, 
our lack of ability to be one, our lack of ability to accept Jew and Gentile, slave, now free, male and female, no more, may destroy our very nation, our world. We just don't want to hear that, Jesus. We don't want to hear that, God. Don't make me change, because when I change, it makes me anxious. And so the crowd, I can understand them. Look, you, you brought this weird change to our community. You know, our community wasn't perfect, but we were doing okay. We were doing okay, and you've messed it all up. The neighbors understood this challenge, because they understood real value, did they not? And it's obvious that Jesus does not. He'll throw, and Mark tells us, 2,000 pigs just down the hillside. Jesus seemed to think that one man was of more value than a herd of pigs. Now, I once pastored in a farming community, and we did this as a Bible study one Wednesday night. And my dear friend Juanita Worms, who has passed on, and I did her funeral for her, could not get the idea that this was okay, what Jesus did. She began to think that maybe Jesus lacked that perfect view she had of him when she realized what had happened here. I'm sure the neighbors were willing to help this man. After all, they gave him chains and a guard. What more could he want? They were, they were taking care of it. Some people even brought him food at times. But you have to stop someplace in helping people, do you not? Surely a human being has some limit on his or her value. Surely 2,000 pigs aren't more valuable than one crazy guy. And so that's where the neighbors come from. You're messing it up, Jesus. You're just upsetting our community. You're upsetting our economy. While it may not appear rational, to politely throw out the man who brought peace and unity to the neighborhood, or even to ignore the way of faith and unity that could make us all one, you do have to protect what is yours, what you've built. You just can't have this guy Jesus going around and making those kind of changes. They knew how to manage the status quo. You put them in chains and you put a guard on them. And this new way makes us uncomfortable because what this guy going to do? And so... We ask the man Jesus to be on his way. You know, we can do just fine without you. Our little community here is wonderful. We've got to get you and your radical ideas away from us. Well, I don't know. These people in the neighborhood, these communities seem pretty normal to me. Do we not recognize that neighborhood? All around us, in our world? All over this world, that neighborhood that says it's about mine, not yours. I want to be unified, but only if you do what I want you to do. See, I know how they feel. They just want to be left alone, to get on with their lives in a community that's not too bad. Sure, it has its problems, but the children turn out pretty much like their parents, and that can't be all bad, can it? Well, I should have warned you when I started this sermon. This is a tough case. Let's make that classic detective move now and bring all the suspects together, draw our conclusions, and then declare who the guilty one is. First, there's Legion. We look at Legion, who now probably is going by the name his mother gave him. He has his clothes on. He seems comfortable with himself and at peace. He even seems to have some direction. It's like he has a mission from Jesus. He's ready to go. He becomes the one who begins to spread the good news of the gospel. I don't know about him, but that's where he is now. That's suspect number one. Then there's Jesus. 
Jesus is definitely at peace and comfortable with himself. He has a sense of purpose and mission. He's not tied up in his ego or, or the needing hanger-oners. He can send people away and say, go, go do good work somewhere else. But instead, he, he is out helping others find their purpose. We have one suspect left sitting in the chair right over here somewhere. And that's the neighbors, the community. Now, you look at them, they don't seem to be at peace. They actually look a little afraid. No, they look scared senseless. They know that someone else is the problem. And they want to throw him out. But they are afraid, so they practically beg him, the one who brought peace to them, to leave. Well, you look at the story in total, and i, I got to tell you, it's frustrating because no one is admitting anything here. Usually someone jumps up and says, I get it. I get it, and I'm glad I get it, right? Uh, we don't seem to have that here. So I put it to you. You've met our cast. You've watched the characters develop. You've seen their interactions. You tell me. Who's crazy here? Let's pray. God, may we continue, may we not continue, in the craziness of the status quo. May we risk the sanity of life and peace through your Son, the unifier of us all, even Jesus. Amen.